love that song. He is our cornerstone. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that in the message. So if you have your Bibles, open to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. We're going to continue our series uh, through this study of this letter from Paul to the Christians in Galatia as he is more clearly explaining what the gospel is and what it does and how it impacts our life in every way how it impacts the practical side of the Christian life, how it uh, impacts the theological side of our Christian life. It really, it, it impacts every area of the life of a Christian. And so we've been, we've been learning a little bit about the, the truths that he shares of the gospel in this book. And today we're jumping into chapter number five. There's only two more chapters left. And we've been learning in chapter one, uh, as he talks about his calling in chapter 2, as he talks about uh, the, the, the gospel and, and how it's really manifested in, uh, in our lives and what it, what it does being in Christ. And in chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. And he, he talks about the theological side of uh, the gospel message. And then uh, in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, he, he begins to contrast uh, the law and grace, and how they're very different, how the system of the law was done away with when Christ uh, came into this world, when Christ died for our sin. That, that system uh, was to push us as people to the cross, to Christ. And, uh, and for many, uh, what is known as legalism um, took over their lives. Now, just a, as a refresher of what legalism is, legalism is the idea that by doing good works, by following the law, such as the Ten Commandments, then God will be pleased and we will have his favor. We can have the forgiveness of sins by doing the law. We can have God love us more by doing the law. We can, we can be uh, these greater Christians than others by doing the law. And Paul says none of that is true. That system is a wrong system. In fact, he calls it a false gospel. It's not even the true gospel. It's not even connected with the gospel. The gospel is all about the work of Christ and what he did on the cross for us. So we learned about that in chapters 3 and 4. When you get into chapter 5 and 6, he begins to get into the life that is lived through the Spirit. If we as Christians are not to live through the law, and for the law, then we are to live, according to Paul, by faith in the Spirit. What does that life look like? Well, chapter 5, he begins to describe and apply that life into the lives of the Christians there in Galatia. He begins to kind of develop this thought and, and carry it through so that we can have a clear understanding. The people in Galatia can have a clear understanding, and us today, of what it means to live the Christian life through the Spirit of God, through the power of the Spirit of God. So that's what we're going to jump into in chapter number five. And this morning you're going to find, I entitled the message, Take a Stand, because the life that is lived by the power of the Spirit is a life that's going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to stand for some things. You're going to have to stand against other things, and you're going to have to stand in some things. And so this morning we're going to learn about that stand because to be honest much of the christian life is lived by simply taking a stand 
So notice what it says in Galatians chapter 5 with that, that thought in your mind of a stand. Notice what he says. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of none or no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. What is the stand that he is talking about? What is the stand of the Christian that is going to be living uh, the Christian life by the power of the Spirit? Well, that's what we're jumping into. Paul says, stand fast. The first two words, stand fast. Now, this is the first book or the first letter that Paul wrote, and he uses this expression many times, stand fast. Uh, in Ephesians, he wrote to them, we've got to stand against the wiles of the devil. In the Corinthians, uh, he wrote that we ought to stand fast in our faith. And here in Galatians, he's saying, stand fast in our liberty. Take a stand. Now, whenever I hear this word of taking a stand, it always reminds me, as a good Texan, of the story at the Alamo. Y'all remember the story of the Alamo. Uh, there's uh, uh, the Colonel William uh, Bowie, I think it was, or William Travis, one of the two. Uh, J it's Jim Bowie, so it's William Travis, and he was the colonel there at the Alamo. And if you remember, they were overwhelmed by the forces. The Mexican forces were, I don't know, like an army of five or 6,000, they say. Uh, the, the army that was in the Alamo was only about 200 men. And seeing that they weren't going to win they decided that they were just going to make a stand there instead of surrendering, instead of retreating. And the story goes, the legend says that William Travis drew uh, a line there uh, on, in the dirt, in the sand. And he told the men, men, our decision is, will we die for our country or will we run away? And uh, he said, if you're willing to die for your country and take a stand with me here in the Alamo, cross this line. And all but two people crossed the line. One of them was in a stretcher and asked to be carried over. Moses Rose was the only man that fled, and uh, he lived for another 15 years after that. That's about it. But the rest, 199 of those men, decided to give their life there at the Alamo. They took a stand there. Paul here is telling the Christians at Galatia, take a stand. Take a stand. He's drawing a line in the sand and saying, now, I've just finished explaining to you at the end of chapter 4 that we are not servants or slaves to the flesh or to the law, but we are made free. And he used the picture, remember that, of Hagar and Sarah, of Isaac and Ishmael. And he said, we are of the family that is free. We have the promise that's why he starts in chapter 5 in verse number 1, now stand in that freedom. A different versions of the Bible uh, translate this verse a little bit differently. Some of them say, uh, live in the freedom for, why Christ, for which Christ died for you. In other words, the whole purpose of the death of Christ on the cross was to make you and me free. 
That's why Jesus said, if the Son maketh you free, you are free indeed. True freedom. So Paul is here saying there are some stands that you're going to have to take if you're going to live by the power of the Spirit. The law has one kind of life. Faith has a different kind of life. The life of faith requires us to stake a, take a stand. Now, we're going to look at three different ways that we need to take a stand as we are being led by the Spirit. Number one, there in your notes, standing fast. The person that's going to live a life of faith by the power of the Spirit of God must stand fast. The Greek word here is stiko. It means to stand firm, unmovable, to, to persevere. And he's saying to the Christians in Galatia, now, you're going to have to make a stand here. Okay, you have some false teachers, you have some Judaizers here that are trying to confuse you about what salvation is. They're trying to confuse you about what the Christian life is all about. And they're trying to get you back into bondage. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself back in a life of bondage. So you need to stand up. You need to stand fast. You need to be unmovable. You need to persevere. And the first thing that you need to stand fast in is in the liberty that Christ has given us. Stand fast in Christ's liberty. Now, this liberty is the result of the gospel's work in the lives of people. When, When Christ died on the cross, he defeated sin. He overthrew sin's power. That's what gives us freedom. Before that, we were under bondage of sin. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, I didn't put it in your notes, but you can write it in real quick. Romans chapter 6, Paul said, whoever you're a servant of, right? If you are, uh, if you are serving um, uh, sin, if you're doing wrong works, then, then that's your master. That's who you're a slave to, right? So if you submit to do uh, sin, then you're a servant, a slave of sin. And you're in bondage. That's why the gospel message is amazing. Because it gives us freedom. And Paul says, stand in that freedom. By, by living a life that is all about rules and regulations, it just it starts to bind you. And you'll find that it starts to suffocate you. Um, listen, it'd be hard enough to live just the Ten Commandments. Did you know there's 613 commandments total? It's hard enough to live 10 of them. Can you imagine 613 of them? And Paul is saying, listen, it was strangling us. It was killing us. But when Christ died on the cross and we accepted the work by faith of what Christ did for us, he gave us freedom. He gave us liberty. And by the way, I love that he says in Christ, the liberty that Christ has given us. He didn't say the liberty that you've won by your doing your good works, the, the liberty that you've earned by being such a good Christian. He says the liberty that was given to us by Christ. He says, first, you need to stand fast in that. Don't be moved by that. Don't be moved from that truth. All that God has given us, all that Christ did on the cross was to give us freedom. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. This I did put in your notes, chapter 15, verse 57, when he was writing the uh, Christians in Corinth. He said, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory was through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through us, not through our good works, not from going to church or keeping the commandments or the law. The victory is given to us 
through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Stay fast in the liberty that Christ has given you. Don't be moved from there. Secondly, standing fast against the bondage of the law. He says, stand fast in the liberty where Christ hath made us free. And then he says, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Standing fast against the bondage of the law. Throughout this letter, Paul has been contrasting grace and law. Grace is based on faith. Me believing what Christ did for me. Me believing what Christ has given to me. Then you have the law, which is based on works. What I've tried to earn, what, what I've tried to do, uh, what I've tried to accomplish in my life, that's law. Paul's been contrasting grace and law, and he says the, the Christian life is based on faith through the grace of God. The religious life is based on works and your own goodness, which isn't very good. In fact, we are not good enough, period. Living that kind of life is what we call legalism. And Paul says that legalism that you're trying to live by is really actually enslaving you. That's why you need to stand fast against it. Don't be moved by what these Judaizers are telling you. Listen, it's going to sound good to your flesh. It's going to sound good to your logic and to your mind. But he says, but it's not spiritual. It's not of the Spirit of God. It is not by faith. And anything that's not of faith is not of God. So he says, stand fast against it. I love what Jesus shared when he shared this about the Pharisees because these Judaizers, many of them were Pharisees. This is what the Pharisees taught. Pharisees taught, you want God to be happy with you? Then you better obey his word. And the moment that you disobey, he don't like you anymore. You're not very likable. Be careful. Watch for God's judgment. Something's going to happen. And Paul said, no. And even Jesus, this is what he said about them. In, in Matthew 23, verse 4, he says, For they, this is the Pharisees, they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's so, uh, shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they don't live by them either. They know them. They'll quote them to you. But they themselves break the laws. And by the way, they hated that Jesus pointed that out. They hated it anytime Jesus would correct them. And listen, they got to the point, and listen where religious, uh, religion will take you. They got to the point where Jesus had to ask them a question. The law stated, on the Sabbath day, you can't do anything. You can't, you can't work. You can't be, be moving and going out, giving your soul pleasure. You cannot do this. All right, You're not supposed to even leave your house. You know what the Pharisees would do? They would gather some dust from their house, some dirt from their house, and then they would throw the dirt, and they say, we're still on our house, because that dirt's from my house. And throw some more dirt, and they go, hey, I'm still at home. <laughs> this dirt's from my house. So they're breaking the law, but they're justifying it in the way that they're doing it. Jesus got to the point where he said, let me ask you something, guys. Is it wrong to heal somebody on the Sabbath? To do a good work on the Sabbath? To do something that would please God on the Sabbath? They didn't want to answer it. They didn't even want to answer that. 
Why? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to convict them. It's going to go against them. Ah, I'm not answering that question. That's where religion will take you. To be a, a, not just a little hypocritical, I mean hugely hypocritical. To the point where you don't even stand good, good instruction. You just, nah, I'm not, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to hear that anymore. Why? Well, pastor makes it seem like I never do anything right. Good, because you don't. The right that we do ought to be done through the Spirit, by faith in what Christ did. That, that's where our standing comes from. So, Paul says, stand fast in that truth. Stand fast. Just remember, don't let anybody move you, because the moment they do, they're taking you back to prison, okay? To a life of frustration and bondage. Don't go. Stand, against, stand fast against that. But not only do you need to stand fast, okay, in the liberty that you've been given by Christ, and against the bondage, the life of bondage. But then, secondly, stand against. When you get to verse 2, you see him saying, stand against. First, stand fast. Don't be moved by anything. Then, secondly, stand against. Now, here he's making a personal plea of what to stand against. Right? He says, behold, all right, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor, a debtor to do the whole law. Paul is making a personal plea here. He pleads with them to stay away from circumcision for the purpose of gaining God's favor. Now, when we get to verse number uh, 6, you'll find circumcision isn't right or wrong. This is, this is not what he's arguing from. I'm not saying if you're circumcised, then God can't forgive you, can't be part of God's family. That, that's not what he's saying. What they were being taught was that if you wanted to be part of God's family, you have to be of the circumcision. And if you don't, then you're not justified. You're not forgiven. God doesn't, you're not part of God's people. God's not going to forgive you. You can't live and be a Christian. And Paul says, that's, that's, that's not true. Some of them were about to make, they're thinking about making that decision. They're hearing these Judaizers saying, well, that's what the law says. You're right. But we got to do it. Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because once you allow yourself to get into that life, not only is it a life of bondage, but it's a life where the Spirit of God has no effect on you. The grace of God has no effect on you. So he says, stand against this. Stand against this work-based righteousness. Stand against that works-based righteousness. Right? It's only going to take you where you don't want to go. I like what he says in Romans chapter 9. Notice what he said. Put in your notes, and this is from the New Living Translation. He says, But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. By the way, Christ is the rock. The rock that they stumbled over was this rock of faith, this life of God's grace saying, listen, you don't have to earn it. God did it for you. God forgave you. God did the work. God sustains you. God loves you. God's made you holy. It's not like, okay, let me throw a little bit of God's water of salvation on me. Okay, now, now I got to do the rest. 
No, no, God did everything. That's what the freedom is all about, is that he did everything. So stand against this works-based righteousness that you could never earn, that you could never get. The enslaving aspect of this kind of living for them was this thinking that by being circumcised, accepting circumcision, now God will be happy with me. Paul says no. Faith pleases God, not the law, not works. Faith and faith alone. So stand against that. Number two, stand against falling from grace. In verse number four, he says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Here in verse four, Paul emphasizes that legalism not only makes Christ's work on the cross of none effect, but also that is, it puts you in a place where you're falling from grace. Now, what does this phrase mean? There are some that uh, read this phrase and, and try to apply that you lose your salvation. That's not what he's talking about. Number one, that's not even in the context. But secondly, uh, if you could lose your salvation by your works, then you should probably be able to gain your salvation by your works. That's why works doesn't, <laughs> doesn't come into the picture at all. It's always Christ's work. It's always been Christ's work. Okay. So what does it mean for fallen from grace? Well, that's our standing with God in our relationship with Him. Uh, grace is, if you want to define it really quick, it's God's favor on us. God's favor on us. And you could say unmerited favor if you'd like. In other words, favor that we did not earn. God's unmerited favor on us. That's grace. So what Paul is saying is you're falling away from that. When you begin to trust that works is what's going to get you God's favor, you're falling away. In other words, they both can't exist, coexist together. It can't be works and faith, or grace and works. It can't be. It can't be faith and the law. No, no, it's either all faith or it's all law. It's got to be one of the two. That's why you've got to take a stand. It can't be both. I, I love it. He, he says this in Romans chapter 11, verse number six. I put in your notes. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Other, otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, then it is of no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. It's pretty logical. Either God gives us his unmerited favor, in other words, favor from God that we did not work for, or God gave us his favor because we work for it, which is works. So it's either grace, unmerited favor, or works, favor that we earned. But it can't be both. Either that or we've got to redefine what works is and redefine what grace is. By the way, if you want a, like a modern day example of that, it's kind of like the word marriage, right? Marriage means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But if you look in the dictionary, it's really really only one true word for marriage either that or we're just going to have to redefine what marriage is the word means it's kind of like friend kind of like any word that you want to choose in a dictionary it can't have like eight different meanings that go against each other that contradict one another and that's what paul is simply trying to say he's saying look in the christian life when you're walking by the spirit you're going to have to stand against some things uh, you're, you're going to have to stand against falling from grace 
Stand against the thinking that somehow I've got to earn God's favor now. Yeah, he's saved. I'm saved, and he changed me, and I'm a new being, and I've been given this holiness and this righteousness of God. But now I've got to keep that righteousness by being good. Listen, you never got it from being good in the first place. It wasn't given to you because you were good. In fact, the Bible says there's nothing good in us. All, Isaiah chapter 64, all of our good deeds are as filthy rags. <laughs> so, so much for that theory. Stand against that, he tells the Christians in Galatia. And by the way, it's easy even for us today to fall into that. It's easy for us to fall into the routine of the Christian life and think we're doing good and we're doing God a favor. Hey, God, I've been to church all four Sundays this month. <laughs> I read my Bible every day this week. Uh-huh. See how much better I am? See what God's done for me? And let me tell you, it's never worked that way. Paul says, don't fall from grace. That thinking takes you and fall, makes you fall away from grace. Stand against that thought. Don't let that thought permeate. And by the way, that's a thought that I fight against constantly. Well, they don't love the ministry as much as I do. I'm here all the time. I work with people. That, that thought that comes into a pastor's mind, legalistic. Do I got responsibilities? Sure, so do you as a Christian. The way we fall from grace is a, the thought that says, look how good I'm doing, look how great I am. That's falling from grace. And Paul says, if you don't stand against that kind of thinking, you guys are going to end up under the yoke of bondage. Very frustrating. So we see you've got to stand fast in certain things, stand against other things, and lastly, stand in something. Verse 5 and 6. For we... Through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. The last stand that Paul shares here is standing in something. It's, it's standing for what the gospel says. It's, it's standing in the hope of righteousness. Uh, this hope is one that awaits uh, or that waits by faith for the work of the Spirit of God to do what only He can do in and through us. That's the hope, okay? The hope of righteousness here. This, this is not the righteousness, if I can clarify, that we received at salvation that's imputed unto us. That's, that's a big word, but in other words, it's not Christ's righteousness that was given to us here. The word here in the context of righteousness here is actually the living out of being holy. Okay? Um, we can think of it this way. If someone is holy, then the works that he does are holy because he's holy. Right? It doesn't make him holy. It's because he is holy, then the works that he does are holy. And uh, we see this in the Old Testament a lot of times, right? Uh, they would get like the candlestick, right? What's known as the menorah in the, in the, in the Jewish uh, culture. You've probably seen it. It looks like a U and there's seven candlesticks. That was, that was to be in the tabernacle. In Exodus, God told Moses to make that. Now, the candlestick was just like any other candlestick. 
distinct. It's, it's not like there's only one in the world ever made. But the purpose that it served went from being just a common candlestick to one that was holy because it was used in the service of God. Now what it does, the, 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 what it performs is holy because it's been made holy. Same with us. The righteousness and the good works that we do don't make us holy. It's because we're holy that we can do good, good works. <laughs> and there's a huge difference in that. I've shared this before, but it's like in English when we say, um, I need to eat so I can live, but I shouldn't live to eat. Right? Big difference in that. Same thing. So Paul is saying, stand in the hope of righteousness. Stand in with this idea. God has made me holy because by faith I believe what Christ did on the cross, forgave me my sins, made me a son of God. Now I'm holy, and now I'm waiting for that holiness to be seen in my life and what I do and what I say and how I am. That's the hope of righteousness. If I can put it this way in the practical way, you should reflect more of your holiness today that is in you than you did yesterday. I don't like saying we ought to be better Christians because now it sounds like we're you know, competing with one another. What I'm saying is uh, it's kind of like the basketball player right? that is practicing free throws, practicing free throws, practicing free throws. Listen, six months from now, you ought to be a better free throw shooter because okay? that's what you've been doing. Now, that doesn't make him, you know, uh, not being a basketball player or being something other than a basketball player. No, he's a basketball player. But every day he goes to practice because he's a basketball player. He practices layups and he practices jump shots. He practices uh, going around screens or he practices setting screens. He practices an offense. Why? Because he's a basketball player. Okay? LeBron James gets paid millions of dollars just to do that. That's all he does. No one says, what is that guy doing in the gym? He's crazy. He should be putting out fires. Like, No, he's not a firefighter. He's a basketball player. That's what he does. Listen, we are Christians. That's what we do. Good works ought to be, because that's who we are. So Paul is telling them, Stand in this fact, the hope of righteousness, the hope that Christ is making me more like him every day. That's the hope of righteousness. And when we're living in the spirit, that's the hope that we have. More of Christ in me. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 28 puts it in a different manner of putting on the new man. And then he says, whereby putting away lying and speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Do not give place to the devil. Let him that, steal, that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. What is that? It's good works flowing out of the righteousness that Christ gave me. That's the hope of righteousness. So you need to stand in that. Secondly, stand in our faith by love. Verse number six, 
He just puts it plainly. Listen, circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't mean anything. Listen, what, what, what really is a, a factor we ought to focus on is our faith by love. True faith demonstrates itself by love. Our love for others, our love for God. See, faith is not simply acknowledging some, you know, some truth by intellectual means. It's, it's, it's wholeheartedly believing and demonstrating that belief with different living and different works. This is why it's so hard for me. I'll be honest. It's, it's hard sometimes when you, when you hear about these celebrities and things. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Everybody's a Christian on Facebook. I mean, everybody's a Christian on Instagram. Everybody's a Christian because it's really easy to say I'm a Christian. But what does your life demonstrate? That's what Paul is talking about here. Listen, when you're led by the Spirit, then there's some things that your faith's going to lead you to do by loving and lo for loving others. And it ain't going to be all about you and the attention I get and the awards I receive. It ain't going to be that at all. And sometimes that's what the faith that we see so many times in our world today is. Life that doesn't reflect anything of holiness, but hey, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. Why? Because you say you are? Listen, in James chapter 2, we, we went through the book of James, but I want to remind you of this verse in James chapter 2, verse 18. He says, a man says, I have faith. James says, well, I'll say I have works. And then he says, Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, what I do reflects who I am. I'm not doing it to be something. It's because I am something. That's why I do it. And Paul says, stand in that truth. Stand in that truth. Stand in the truth of your faith that would lead you to love others. That's... That's being spirit-controlled and spirit-led. So this morning you might say, well, what's the one commandment we got to do? There's no commandments you got to do. Just live by the Spirit. Well, what's the Spirit telling me to do? He's telling you to stand fast. Stand fast in the liberty that you received. Stand fast against any kind of yoke of bondage that religion wants to bind you in. You, you need to stand against some things, stand against falling from grace, stand against the thinking of works-based kind of life and religion, and just stand, stand in some deep truths like faith that leads to love. Stand in the fact that we have a hope of righteousness. Christ is working on us every day. Stand in that. I'm telling you, if we can take that kind of stand today, it would be amazing what God can do with this church. What he can do with all of us together living that kind of life. You know what you'll find? You'll find a, a church that really doesn't have a lot of gossip going through everywhere. That's what you'll find. A spirit-led church where the members are 
are living and standing where they ought to stand and standing against what they should stand against and standing in what they should be standing in, you know what you find? Less. Less of the divisiveness that can come into churches. Less of the anger and the unforgiving spirit and the judgmental spirit. You'll find less of that in a church that's living by the power and through the power of the spirit. That's what you'll find. So here's my challenge. My challenge this morning is that the Christian life is all about taking a stand. Taking a stand by standing fast in Christ. Standing against legalism and standing in our faith. Don't live a Christian life that's just kind of floating by, purposeless. Don't, don't do that. Live a faith that's taking a stand being led by the Spirit. By the way, our world was made by people that took a stand. I know our, our country is not perfect. I know that by far. I can turn on the news and I can see our, our, our country is not perfect. But one thing that I'm proud of as an American is the stand that many of them took. The stand for freedom. The stand for liberty. Many of our founding fathers, the stand for the Bible that they took. They said nothing great happens in history without someone taking a stand. And nothing great will happen in our Christian life until we take a stand. So I want to encourage us today. Let's take a stand this week. Let's take a stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Thank you, Father, for the reminder that the Apostle Paul shares with us in this in this chapter. And that if we're going to be living a life that is led by the Spirit, that is different from rules and regulations and from the law, that we're just going to have to take a stand. And I pray that this morning we would be a church, we would be a people that takes a stand. Help us to take a stand and and standing fast, unmovable, persevering in the truth of who we are. Standing fast against the yoke of bondage that religion brings and standing unmovable in the liberty that we've been given. We no longer have to live a religious life. We can actually live a life with a relationship with Christ. And then help us to stand against what would be the thinking in our lives and even the living in our lives that by doing some sort of work, we're gaining your favor. Help us to be reminded that, that today we are who we are because of your grace. Your grace has made us to be holy. Your grace is what leads us today and guides us and help us to stay in that grace and help us to stand in our faith for that hope of righteousness Father I'm not all that I ought to be but by your spirit I will be help us to live with that truth in mind help us to be guided by that principle 
And that, Father, our faith that we stand in would lead us to love. To love others and meet the needs of others and, and, and to stand where only you can place us. Be with us, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.